Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Mr. Crow Reporting by David Agronoff. I don't know what to tell you, Mr. Crow. It's another day in paradise. Charlie never knew a goddamn thing. It was the first thing that the asshole said every damn day when the lights came on, burning like the flash of a mushroom cloud. The old redneck former chief of police rolled over in the top bunk as he had every day for the last 431 days that they had been bunkies. He laid on his back and he said the same thing every damn day. Mr. Crow had thought around day 150 that Charlie might say something else with his waking breath, but he never did. It was annoying as having a woodpecker outside your window doing their thing at the crack of dawn. That annoying. Mr. Crow grunted, Yep, paradise. For the first couple days, and for the last hundred or so, Don Crow had just stared at Charlie and shaken his head. They had 20 minutes from lights on until they opened the door for the chow hall. Morning chow was barely worth walking across the compound for. That is, unless it was banana day. If inmate.com spread the word that it was banana day, then everyone would go and pack nanners back to the unit. Being an old man, Crow got searched less, so he could pack quite a few bananas back and sell them for stamps. Before he took the rap for his thankful shit-for-brain stepson, he had owned a southern Indiana furniture company, and he would make cabinets from 9 to 5 and paint watercolors on weekends. Mr. Crow sat his feet on the floor and then dodged the feet hanging from the top bunk. The misery started from the moment Crow opened his eyes. Charlie, could you get your goddamn feet out of my face? Well, woo-wee! Sounds like someone got up on the wrong side of the bed. As he climbed down from the top bunk and opened his locker, he had to stiffen his flat top before morning chow. You mean wrong side of the plastic fucking mat? Two cubicles over, a Chicago gangster named Yak, short for Pontiac, pushed his long dreads, grown over the length of his sentence, and started his morning routine. That routine included a hundred push-ups, listening to hip-hop on speakers, bootlegged out of headphones, and retooled to thump halfway down the cell block. It was hard out there for a pimp, according to the song that accompanied the push-ups. 162 assholes lived in cell block MC. On day one, Crow was still eating daily ham sandwiches in county jail and getting promises from his lawyer. One year, two at the most, his lawyer promised. Day one, Crow had been a friendly, easygoing guy. With his mesh bag of essentials provided by the Bureau of Prisons, he had walked into this cube and informed Charlie that he was moving on up like the Jeffersons. Crow had a back problem and a lower pass, you see. Better than a golden ticket to the Wonka factory, not having to sleep on the top was a godsend. It was the start to a beautiful friendship. Fuck that. They hated each other. Crow was a balding hippie who had hitchhiked on acid to Woodstock. Charlie was a lifelong cop who still believed in his heart he had been wronged. Too bad the 15-year-old girl with the cocaine that blew him in his squad car led the feds to the computer in his office. That computer was property of the Department of Hayden, North Carolina. But p the police chief, Charlie, had filled it to the brim with pictures of naked teens. Crow couldn't figure out the logic to save his life, but Charlie told everyone who would listen that he was a scrap goat. Now, if anyone was really listening over the last four years, they probably would have corrected Charlie and told him the term was scapegoat. But no one was listening, so no one corrected him. Zach, a twice-convicted pedophile 
who was who only felt safe leaving the unit for his kitchen job, walked past and gave him the info. What's the word, Zach? Charlie asked, just as he had every morning. The answer was the first variable every day. Apples, Charlie. Everyone in earshot would grumble. A few would curse. Charlie would tell Mr. Crow that the apples weren't fit for horses. Shoot! I tell you what, Mr. Crow. Them apples ain't fit for horses. Yak was grunting as he did his push-ups. A mass of men were holding their toilet paper rolls lined up for the six toilets, twelve sinks, and seven shower stalls. Crow waited until after Chow to do all that. He didn't want to fight the crowd. Matty, a former militia man who kept the peace for the whites as the white boy shot collar, walked into his cubicle. He was only two days from his commissary day, which meant he needed coffee. Hey, Mr. Crow, you have any coffee? Crow spooned some of it into his cup. Matty stirred. You see the call-out sheet? You got a doctor's appointment. Crow rubbed the growth on his throat. It had been three weeks since he had woken up with the growth, but someone was finally going to see him about it. Crow thanked Matty for the info, who forgot to thank him for the coffee, but that was common around here. Charlie sat in his plastic chair and looked at Crow. Here it comes, the next thing he would say every single freaking morning. I don't know, Mr. Crow. I don't think I can take another day of this. For the first week, Crow asked what hobbies Charlie had, but he would just say fishing. Crow would say, well, what about something you could do here? Then he would say, all I like to do is hunt and fish. Crow suggested journaling, drawing, taking classes. But all Charlie wanted to do was be a cop again. Crow tried to avoid this conversation. Next, he would complain about how boring it was. Crow couldn't do it. Not again. Not today. This place is so goddamn boring, Mr. Crow. Well, find something to do, Charlie. Charlie didn't do much except complain and maintain the flap top. Crow put on his shoes and walked past the cubicles housing fellow prisoners. For the first week, he felt sorry for everyone, but over time he learned most of their stories and felt less and less sympathy. There was one honest-to-goodness rocket scientist in one of the other cell blocks, but most of the population were as stupid as you would expect. It was federal prison, not a country club. Crow couldn't act too superior, yeah, he knew that Tony, his wife Dharma's lone child, operated a grow-op on the far end of his property. Crow first became a hippie for the chicks, and he did like to smoke bud. But he had never been a dealer. That was Tony all along. The moron had a truck parked on their property with enough weed to net them a grip of years. When the feds showed up, they were going to take the whole family down. Tony begged Crow to take the hit. Crow, he pointed out, was almost retired. Tony had young kids to raise, after all. Crow didn't do it for Tony. His stepson was as lovable as inflamed hemorrhoids. He did it for Darm. He loved her like he did cherry pie with ice cream. She was the greatest thing that had ever happened to him. Since his lawyer said, two years tops, he thought he could deal with that. Darm would be waiting, happy that he had sacrificed his freedom so her son could raise her grandkids. It was a federal case because Tony had left sale, left evidence of sales in Cincinnati and Louisville. The judge in Indianapolis must have been having a bad day or really hated weed. Either way, he gave Crow eight years. The first time he called Dharma, she cried through most of the 15 minutes they had on the call. But she assured him that when he got back, 
they would take a cruise, and Tony would make it up to them both. The problem was Dharma Crow died six months into a sentence. The furlough system was so abused, it was long gone in 2009. So Don Crow woke up to Charlie not knowing what to tell him again on the day that his wife was laid to rest. He was sitting in his cube wondering how Tony had fucked up the funeral because it was happening 530 miles away back home in Indiana and Tony couldn't organize a desk, let alone awake in a funeral. He seemed to forget about his mother's husband because Crow never heard from him again, except when a deed showed up in the mail call needing Crow's signature to sell his land. No letter attached. The son of a bitch wanted to sell his house. Yak may have had the IQ of rock salt, but on that shitty day, he gave Mr. Crow a wise suggestion. Crow took the deed into the head and wiped his ass with it before mailing it home. Mr. Crow was waiting by the door when the guard unlocked the block and yelled, Chow! Mr. Crow sat in the doctor's office until lunch chow. He hated to miss chow. If he was in medical, they would send over ham sandwiches and chips. Each bite reminded him of county lockup in those first uncertain days. It was Wednesday. That was Burger and Friday for every institution in the BOP. He loved fries. It was the day he most looked forward to. He stared at the clock and nervously watched it tick away. He should have been worried about the growth on his neck, not french fries. He didn't expect the BOP's doctors to give him a diagnosis. Just last week, two guards took him into town to see a specialist. He was shackled the whole time, and after the indignity of it all, they couldn't tell him shit. The lock on one of the large steel doors turned, and a nurse stepped out holding a clipboard. She looked at the page. Don Crow? With some effort, Crow lifted his old bones out of the plastic torture device the feds considered a chair. He stepped up to the nurse. She looked at him. Don Crow? Last I checked, she wasn't amused and asked to see his BOP ID photo. That Don Crow looked a fuck of a lot healthier. She led him to the back to the doctor's office. Crow didn't know this doctor, who sat behind the desk with his hands folded. He didn't wear smocks or a white coat. He didn't wear a stethoscope. The second Crow saw him, he thought to himself, this guy's no doctor. Have a seat, Mr. Crow. Crow sat down and leaned back. He looked for medical degrees on the wall or something that he could learn about the man. Hi, Doc, he trailed off, expecting the man to fill in his name. I think, uh, I think you know who I am, Mr. Crow. Have we met? I normally remember the doctors and nurses. I admit the COs all blend together. We have not met. I never see people twice. Crow raised an eyebrow. What the hell is this guy talking about? Well, I was hoping you were going to tell me what this growth is. It, it has me pretty scared. The man, the man behind the desk nodded. I can give you an answer, and I promise you won't like it. I don't do good news. Not in my job description, as you can imagine. Crow couldn't imagine. He thought this guy was as crazy as a screen door on a jet. Just tell me, Doc. The man nodded. Well, it's cancer. If you didn't guess that, you're as dumb as that asshole sleeping above you. And it's aggressive. It's moving quickly. And the trouble you've had breathing on your walks in the yard? Crow felt his mouth agape. He had never told any of the doctors about that. The tumor has been growing on your lymph nodes, just enough to disrupt your breathing. Last night. I'm afraid it was enough for my services. 
services. Grim business, I'm afraid. You're saying I'm... The man nodded. Crow pointed at him. Bullshit. I woke up just like any other day. Yeah, that's right. You did. And how do you feel about that? Feel about the morning? It's pretty awful, huh? Crow looked around for a camera or a mirror. He thought maybe the warden and CEOs would be watching and laughing their collective asses off. Crow crossed his arms. He had nothing to say. Okay, then. You're done, Mr. Crow. Head on back to your unit. Don Crow looked at his watch. That It was ten minutes till count time and lights out. Yak was hosting his Wednesday night poker game. He had four books of stamps riding on the current hand. Crow hoped he lost because he made an awful racket when he won. He jumped around like a fool. The black TV room was hooting and hollering over basketball wives. The white boy TV room was loudly commenting on swamp people. And the Mexicans had overrun the microwave room making massive meals in the bottom half of cleaned out plastic paint buckets. Charlie had fallen asleep after completing five words of his crossword puzzle. It was the same every night. He stood on the edge of his cubicle and watched the scene unfold. Nothing much changed day to day. He thought back to his days alone in his workshop making cabinets. In between the sound of tools, NPR news played in the background. He thought about weekends when he would paint on the porch, watching the wind blow around leaves. The only sound, the rustling leaves and Dharma breathing as she napped on the porch love seat. That was heaven. Count time! The prisoners scrambled to their cubicles. Crow woke up Charlie for the standing count, as he did every night. They stood and waited while the CEOs walked the unit, counting each and every asshole until they had eyeballs on all of them. The lights clicked off, and the CLs yelled, Quiet time! No one listened to that. Crow stuffed tissue in his ears and lay down on the plastic mat, his sweatshirt balled under his head for a pillow. I don't know what to tell you, Mr. Crow. Another day in paradise. The lights clicked on, and Mr. Crow listened to the sound of the plastic mat crinkle as Charlie rolled on his back. Another day, thought Mr. Crow, but it was certainly the opposite of paradise. All the old man could do was think, what the hell had I done to deserve this?